0: This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life.
1: I have a confession to make. I don't really enjoy music. I know. Uh, that That's shocking to some of you. To some of you, like, music is life. But really, I just don't care that much. Um, Don't get me wrong, I enjoy music. And especially when it's like this, when we all gather together as a big group of Christians singing God's praises. I love that. But it's really, I like the singing God's praises part of it, less the music. I can't tell usually whether it's good or bad. Um, I'd never just listen to music by itself. I, I just don't get the point of it. Um, I'd never stop doing other things to, to just focus and appreciate the music. My wife, Karen, who was up here a minute ago, uh, she loves music. She's uh, always got a song in her head and she loves going to concerts. I cannot fathom why you would pay money... <laughs> To go and stand and or sit and listen to someone just play music at you. What a waste of time. I don't get it. Um Jeff, UniChurch pastor, several years ago lent me a CD. He lent me the CD because it was so long ago that was the only way you could get music to someone else. But because he wanted me to try and develop this appreciation for music, not just by listening to a song but seeing an album together, how the album works so that it's greater than the sum of its parts, that each track builds on the one before. Honestly, I can't remember even listening to it. I know I did, uh, but Jeff sort of told me to to go and lie down, close my eyes, and just let the music wash over me so I can really be in the music. I. That's such a massive waste of time. It did nothing for me. I know I did it, but yeah, I used to. I used to listen to music in the car uh, because I was driving, so I was actually achieving something, and that way I could. Because I'm a because I'm a youth pastor, I could listen to whatever was most popular at the time and know what all the uh, you know teenagers were listening to. I can quote far more Taylor Swift lyrics than any 40-year-old person has any right to, uh, but I don't particularly enjoy it. And then I discovered podcasts, and I just don't even listen to music when driving anymore. Um, there is one place, one place I do appreciate music and that's in movies. I really like movies, uh, especially superhero movies. And there's a kind of a thing that happens, I've noticed. Um, if you like music, uh, you're not like me. You'll probably know the technical stuff about this and that I've got it completely wrong. But uh, it seems that often each individual character will have their own musical theme, their own little bit of music that will often play when they're on the screen. So when you know Iron Man does something impressive, the Iron Man theme will play and then Hulk bursts onto the screen and the Hulk theme will play. And sometimes they're both on the screen at the same time and you get this sort of mix of both of their melodies put together and it builds and is greater than the individual one. And sometimes you'll have a whole bunch of characters or different pairings of characters, and you'll hear different music combined in different ways, which I think that's really cool. I think that's really clever. Um, sometimes you have all of them together, and there's this massive piece of music that's a theme for all of them, and yet the individual ones are playing through it, and I think that's cool. I'm told that similar things happen with classical music. You get those themes that come through and back. I just don't care. Uh, <laughs> Then I wouldn't care. The um, The book of 1 John, which we've just had read a bit of to us, it's a little bit like that themed music that comes. 1 John's a little bit different, I think, to most New Testament letters. Most New Testament letters sort of present an argument, and they'll say, here's point A, and therefore point B, and therefore point C. It'll They'll work through the argument. Uh, it logically builds up a case. But 1 John is really cool and different in that the book of 1 John will introduce a theme and then explore it for a little bit and then it'll introduce another theme and then i will see how the first two themes go together and bring in a third theme and see, uh, look, how what does theme three, inf- how does that influence theme two and then bring in a fourth theme and see how that relates to Uh, the first one, it goes in circles and lots of these things keep coming up and influencing each other and building on each other. It's great. And you get themes like faith and love and obedience and life and truth. And in 1 John chapter 5, all of these themes that have been building and growing for the whole book build to this massive crescendo and you're reading it, and the more you know about 1 John, you see all these ideas and great themes swirling in your head and building up, and then suddenly it stops. There's the silence except for, like, one clear trumpet call playing one simple line. And you realise this is what the whole book has been building to. This is the culmination of all the themes This is the music of the whole orchestra, but distilled to a single, clear, pure form. Amongst all the big ideas that are being thrown around, it's startling in its simplicity, in its clarity. And what 1 John 5, verse 12 says is that whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's a pretty clear statement. Um, It's a pretty bold claim. Now, we're not going to look at so much the exclusivity of the claim that it's only through Jesus, although that's a worthwhile thing to look at, but we're going to focus where the book of uh, 1 John focuses. 1 John is written, it'll tell us in the next verse, in verse 13... John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have life. I think that's a really helpful thing for us. I think we sometimes doubt that. Uh, we did a big survey amongst our teenagers at uh, the junior youth group a while ago uh, where, are, what do they believe? Are they certain they're a Christian? Are they not sure? Are they, do they hope they are? And the biggest response for a lot of them is, I hope I am. They that, that don't feel certain. But the book of 1 John wants us to know it. it wants, John wants us to know for certainty that you have life. And what he tells you here is that whoever has the Son of God has life. Which is great uh, if we can work out what having the Son of God means. Uh, I assume it's not like having a cold or having an ice cream. Uh, cold things are on my mind. But having the Son of God, what does that mean? Earlier in the book of John, um, it's these, the sort of ideas that have been picked up have been, put, uh, have been coming up again and again. The ideas uh, have been building and so as we look at what it means to have the Son of God, to have life, we'll look back at a couple of places. So it's great to have uh, 1 John open and we're looking particularly at the first five verses of this chapter because they say that phrase in different ways. What does it mean to have the Son of God? We're going to say five things. We're going to look through them relatively briefly and we're going to mainly look at what the previous, the rest of the book says. The first thing it says in verse one of chapter five is that having faith in him is what it means to have him, to trust him, to believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's being said from the very beginning of the letter. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 starts off saying, "That which we've heard from the beginning, that which we've uh, seen, that which was from the beginning, that which we've heard, which we've seen with our own eyes, which we've looked at, at our hands have touched." John was actually there and physically engaged with this. We proclaim concerning the Word of Life. The life appeared. We've seen it. We testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. What he's talking about is Jesus. Trusting that Jesus is the Son, is uh, is the Christ, the one who came and put His life on the cross that we may have His eternal life. Who gave up His life for us, and then rose again to guarantee our new life. The first thing it means to have the Son of God is to trust him, to believe that he is the Christ, the one that God always promised would come and take away the sin of the world. The second thing is to have him in your heart, not just in your brain to know certain facts about him, but to love the father and his child. Verse 1 continues, you have to love them both together. You can't have one without the other. If anyone says to you, yeah, I love God, I love the idea of God, but I'm not so sure about Jesus. I don't really love Jesus. That's not enough. The Bible would say, no, you, what you need is to love him because the son, the Bible would say, is where you see the father clearly. In Jesus is how we are uh, understand most clearly what God is like. If you don't love the Son, then you don't really have a clear idea of what the Father is. You've got a imaginary picture of what God is in your mind. That's not what, like, what God really is. We have to have him in our heart, loving him. Having God is not just about having faith in him and loving him. It's also about having his love, having the same love that he has. That's in the the first two verses. It talks about us loving one another, our brothers and sisters, others like uh, the other children of God. That's a theme that's come up lots. 1 John 4, the previous chapter in verse 7 says, let us love one another because love comes from God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And therefore, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Having the Son is having faith in him, loving him, and loving as he does, loving God's children, loving one another. And let's just pause for a second. Don't those things ring true? Aren't those things true in your experience? When you have faith in God, if you trust him, then you do love him and love his son. You do, for some reason, seem to start loving other brothers and sisters, other Christians. It's my experience that that happens more and more. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus promised, isn't it? That you, This is how people will know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another having our uh, faith having his uh, loving him having his love are great and the other thing the next thing it talks about is having his lifestyle having his lifestyle that's not by going and being a carpenter that's not by traveling around israel in a toga but doing what was most significant about jesus lifestyle which was his obedience loving god and obeying his commands which may sound hard, which may sound difficult, but it's not because... Well, maybe it's, sometimes it's hard, but it's not burdensome. It's what he says. I, these commands are not burdensome. What are they? Well, back a couple of chapters again, this theme from 1 John keeps circling around and to know what it's talking about, we have to know that 1 John 3.23 says, this is his command... To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he's commanded us. The sort of things that's already said. To obey God is to believe in his son and to love one another. That whole circular thing comes around and there's one thing that that leads to and that's having his victory. Overcoming the world. Which doesn't sound like a very minor thing to overcome the world. But what is that? It's even faith. It's having faith. Because the world's going to tell you to look for life elsewhere. The world will always try and distract you and take you away so that you don't look for life in the sun. But everywhere else, in success, whether it's academic or in your career, the world will tell you that's where to have life if you do well. Or if you just have enough money, if you can accumulate enough wealth, you'll have life that you want. Or freedom, just outside rules and responsibilities where you can go wherever and do whatever. Having freedom will give you life, is what the world will tell you. Or sex, or popularity. Popularity, whether it's in the real world, how many friends you have, how much people like you or just how many virtual friends you have, how many followers you have on your Instagram, how many people you have subscribed to your YouTube channel. The world will tell you, seek life in the relationships you have, either the the intimate relationships or in your family relationships. Having a great family will give you life. Victory over the world, though. Victory over the world... Is having faith that life comes through none of those things. That none of those things actually end up satisfying. Trusting that life is in the sun. Uh, having the sun, having life means lots of things. There's lots of things it can't mean as well. It can't mean you need to have life. What you need is to have your life together. Everything on track and going well. It can't mean that if it's having the sun. Having life can't mean having a perfect track record. Either a track record of doing the right thing or a track record of being a good Christian. It can't mean that if life is having the sun. Life doesn't come from having a Christian family, a Christian heritage, or coming from a Christian culture. Life doesn't come from seeing a miraculous sign or God showing you some amazing thing to convince you. That's not what you need for life. It's a lie to think that to have life, you need a spectacular story of your conversion where God did something amazing and changed your life overnight. You don't need a special feeling of closeness to God to know you have life. You don't need to know that you've defeated certain sins. You don't need to have gone through a special experience. Uh, Does anyone know when I was converted uh, what, what happened then? I don't. I don't remember what time it was. I know it's happened, but you don't need a special thing to have occurred. You don't need a memorable date. Uh, It's great if you have one, but that's not how you know you have life. You don't need enough faith. I often get confused by that phrase, enough faith. Uh, Faith, Jesus said, like a mustard seed, you don't need very much of it. Uh, Faith is a little bit like getting on a bus. Uh, Having life is like just being on the right bus. You don't need to have a lot of trust in the bus driver. You just need to have a little bit. As long as you have enough to get on the bus, to want to be on the bus, that's all you need. Whether you're clinging onto the seat for dear life, not sure that this bus is actually going to get you there, or you're relaxing back comfortably and just chatting with your friends on the ride, as long as you're on the bus. That's where you want to be. That's how we know we have life. It's not hard. It's not complicated. These are things that God tells us. It's not a criteria that I have to do certain things Uh, We know that this leads to life because God tells us. He tells us in lots of ways. The passage here goes on in the next few verses, uh, six onwards, to tell us a few. It tells us through Jesus' water and blood, through his baptism where God declared him to be his son, as John the Baptist reports, through his blood when Jesus died and rose again, where the centurion saw him and said, surely this is the... Uh, son of god god declares it and god continues to declare it through his spirit that this is the one where you have life through his spirit in the word as we read the bible and we see that that is what god is saying as the spirit tells us and tells our hearts that yes God is real, that that is how we have life. Even when we doubt and are, we're not sure, God continually can reassure us by his spirit. We believe other people. We know that people lie all the time, but when they tell us things like supper is going to be out tonight, we believe them. We just say, yeah, that's fair enough, supper will be out, even though we know people lie, that everyone lies. Uh, but Karen said it, I trust her, that's where supper will be. <laughs> But God, who does not lie, has said that that this is where you get life, in his son, by having his son. That's what God says. That's what his testimony is, that whoever has his son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And if you know that, if you have confidence in it, if you know that just believing, just that God's made you love him and others, even if it's not very much, but you see that it's happening in ways that you might not have expected, but that it, it's growing. If you see yourself obeying God by loving him and so uh, believing in his son, if you see those things working out in your life, that means you know some things. It means you know You don't have to jump through hoops to get God's approval. You don't have to do certain religious things, like going to church. It's great to have you all here. I love seeing it. I love seeing people I haven't seen for a while. I love seeing the people I spent the weekend with. Uh, It's great seeing you here at church. But we're not here because that'll make God happy with us, because that's the way to get life. Why do we go to church? Well, it's not to hear sermons. You can hear much better sermons on the internet uh, than I'm giving now. Um, It's not because we sing songs, certainly not for me. Um, I love singing together with you, but if singing's the thing you do, you can do that in your car or in the shower. And you won't have that out-of-tune guy standing just behind you, sorry. Um, The reason we go to church isn't to please God so much as because we do love him, because we love his children, because we love being around them, we love being there to encourage them, to sing alongside of them as we praise God together. You want to see how they're going and growing in their faith. You want to hear God's word with them and apply it together, think through its implications. That's why we go to church. That's why we do religious things like that. Not so that God will be happy with us, but because we already know that God loves us, that he has given us life in his son, then we're free to go to church, not to fulfill requirements, but because we want to. It also means that we can do things uh, for its own reason, I have this weird uh, thing. There's a uh, Christmas carol that I'm sure you know. Santa Claus is coming to town. Um, And it says, he sees you when you're sleeping. He sees you uh, when you're, he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. I don't like that line. Be good for goodness sake. It's not being good for goodness sake. It's goodness sake is an expression, like for goodness sake be good, because he's watching you all the time. That's not being good for goodness sake, that's being good so you get presence. No, if you know that you have life, if you know that God has already given it to you because you have the Son, then you actually can be good just because it's good. You actually can be good for goodness' sake. Otherwise, you're always being good to please God or to please other people. But when you have life, you can actually have pure motives in being good for goodness' sake. Tonight, in this passage, God's Word says one thing, clearly, unambiguously. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Having the son means having faith in him, having love for him, having love for other Christians, having his lifestyle of obedience and having his victory over the world through faith. So I'm going to leave you with two questions. But because this is um, a sermon on the book of John, those circular things, those two questions are actually only one question. The question is, do you have the Son? Do you have life? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your Son freely to us. I pray that we may know, that we may know that we have the Son because we do trust you, we do have faith. We do see those other things working out, love for you increasing. We see our love for one another growing. We see ourselves living a lifestyle of obedience, even where we wouldn't naturally expect to, where we see ourselves having victory over the world because we trust what you say, not what the world says. Help us to know with confidence that we have life. Amen.